That's new. <laughs> I think what's happened is we uploaded videos, but we used the draft and then the final, final draft and then the final, 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 real, final, final, final draft. actual, final, actual, final dot edit, final <laughs> draft, final, final, real, final, real. I will. Now I see why, like, companies actually, because I'm in the process of doing something like that. And companies just put, like, this is version 1.0.0.0.0. So fucking gives, gives me plenty of room for mistakes. <laughs> you know what semantic versioning is? <laughs> I have no idea. What is it? Uh, it's a it's a, like a versioning system for software updates. So, oh, like, that's the, a thing. The, like the one, like the the you know number dot number dot number means something. And so, the more you know, if you, inc- if, if you increment the first one. It's like a hot fix. The second one is an is an update that doesn't have breaking changes, but it's, it's a significant update. If, if you if you implement the, the second one, it's usually typically means it has breaking changes. So like mm. it's a, it's not compatible with things behind it. Really, I always just use those as a joke. Like I would make an Excel tool for someone, and I would be like. <laughs> This is version 1.0. Semantic version. And they would be like, hey, you know, this one could use a drop down right here. And I would be like, no doubt. And I would fix it. Like 16.0.3. <laughs> How many versions does this have? Many. It's bigger every time. Yeah. The more you know. Well, maybe I'll start using that right. Because if I ever run into the wrong crowd of people and they're like, How's this version 1.2.3? They didn't even do any uh, hot fixes. Be like, I don't know what the fuck a hot fix is. This is uh, the version that I named it. That's the <laughs> that's the number. Well, All now right. you know. And knowing <laughs> is half the battle. That's a really like a star wipe GI Joe overlay. Yeah, are we? Have we started? I think we're. Uh, you know what I didn't do because we changed the day of the podcast was get the uh, QR code Coinbase. Mm. Mm, that's supposed to happen, but I was expecting to get it done by Friday. And it's not Friday. It's all good. Um, we're awkwardly live right now. Where's the intro music? Like, what's? Don't have any. Just, just introduce yourself. All right. Uh, 
episode 346 um, of the Bitcoin podcast. I'm the host that talks first, D. I am another host, Dr. Corey Petty. And I'm the third host, Jesse Broke. Does it bother you guys that we're counterclockwise in our order? No. No? No. It might now, but no. (laughs) Hey, that's positive rotation on a circle, so... Got you know, you know, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, just just killed it. Um, so uh, this is the Bitcoin podcast where we talk about crypto things. Um, today we've got a suite of topics to talk to everyone about. A suite, if you will. Before we get into that, though, like, how's you guys' weeks going? I'm very tired. <laughs> I'm very tired. I uh, didn't sleep last night for no reason. I woke <laughs> up at 1.30, didn't go back to sleep. No. It's now late on Wednesday. Mm. And I uh, worked all day. So, <laughs> you sure you're not doing hard drugs? We're doing some like, so I, I have a coworker staying with me this week. And we're, go- we're, uh, we're going through some, um, some, some big changes at work. And trying to plan things and lay the roadmap correctly. So we're like basically just working as much as we can while we're half time together. I could dig it. I could dig it. Why are you so tired, Jesse? Oh, because uh, my body doesn't react to large amounts of caffeine well, and then I can't sleep and stress and anxiety of this test looming. Nice. We're yeah. really starting out this episode with some banger, <laughs> with some banger we are, energy. We right are making now. people feel great. We are starting out with some killer vibes. What about you? Like, let yeah. me tell you something. Your week. Uh, I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going to follow the trend here. I'm full <laughs> of energy. I'm bursting out the seams with energy. Let me tell you something. I just got through doing some backflips before I hopped on to the show because I got that much energy. All right. Uh, this has been a, a phenomenal week. Phenomenal. Uh, just getting a lot of work done. You know, I get energized when I cross things off the old to-do list, you know. But I'm excited. Like, does that mean you're like, you have a to-do list that's like, make a to-do list, cross first things off to-do list, <laughs> and like those like the first two things you catch, and you're like, I'm getting the day started right. That's how I trick myself into, into <laughs> it. That's it. The first two things are my to-do list or make to-do list and do, you know, so. No, it's been a great week, man. I, had nothing, I got no complaints, you know. You know, just just good, good, uh, good week. You know, you can have those. Got a lot of good things in the pipeline, so I'm feeling it. You know, and I bought my dog a blanket. You know, so that was fun. He was like, That's "For cool. me, bro," and I was like, "Yeah, man. I know the summer is right around the corner. We got spring going on, but you look like you need a blanket." And he was like, "I appreciate you." And I said, "You know, you're welcome." So all in all, good week. But today, in cryptos, especially like. Crypto's blowing up, y'all. It's crazy. It's just blowing my mind. Like we got we got Visa, MasterCards around the corner because you know they were like, you know, on on Monday they were like, you know, somebody intern ran in like, sir, sir, Visa's using crypto like officially. It's going down, and they were like, Visa's doing what? Like, huh? Visa, Visa's settling what? And then you know, so you know, MasterCards around the corner. American Express is probably never gonna move. But so American Express, we don't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we 
We use the same amount of numbers, but just group them differently to make you frustrated. Um, so, so for those of you that don't know, Visa has said, yo, you know, not only are we going to be using crypto, but you can use crypto and we're creating a, a way, you know, we've already settled one transaction on the Ethereum blockchain using USDC. So they're settling things in USDC, which is uh, just digital dollar. What's the C stand for again? I think it's USD. T is USDT is tether. TUSD is true USD, and USDC it used to be Circle. So I know not, Circle is it not still Circle or is it USD? I don't know. Let me, let me look it up. Let's, Let's Google see. that real quick. Um, um, but it is a stable coin backed by a one-to-one -one peg with oh, the United States dollar. It's just USD coin. So the C stands for coin, not for center or not for circle. That's not even cute at all. I think yeah. Circle was a part of the initiative, right? At the beginning. I think so, yeah. Or the center, yeah. right? Center or something. By the way, Circle is low-key engulfing the planet in crypto. Like, remember Circle? I don't know, Corey, if you remember Circle from back in the day. Well, they low-key had one of the largest exchanges in Europe. And then they just, they just uh, electric slid over here to the U.S., bought the shit out of Poloniex, changed it. Then they got their their big. I think they're one of the huge players in the USDC. I mean, Circle's making moves and nobody really knows about it. So that's what's kind of slick about. Um, damn, who's the guy that runs Circle? Fuck. Anyways, so Visa is now going to be settling their transactions for USDC. How does that make you guys feel? I'm curious yeah. to see what it does to transaction volume. Um associated with fees because if they're settling on ethereum uh what's the fees gonna cost and that's probably gonna be more than what they would normally cost for for visa network Question. especially based on the current congestion usdc runs on multiple blockchains now right yeah so it's not on ethereum so it's if not it's, only ethereum yeah, they're gonna right. if they're gonna minimize fees it won't be on ethereum which blockchains does it run on what does the usdc website say so it runs on Ethereum, Stellar, and Algorand. And I think they're adding a few more. Is it one of those things where if the, the USDC runs, the more chains it runs on, the cheaper it is altogether to use it? I'm not, I, I can't answer that. Actually. Wow, that'd be an interesting question too, now the answer to you. So we have, as of March 2021, 10 billion USDC were circulating on March 29, 21. He's announced that it will allow the use of USDC to settle transactions on its payment network. Hmm. So it's settling on the Visa payment network, settling USDC on the Visa payment network. So that kind of provides a little bit clarity. So, Corey, um, how does that work? How does USDC live on like four, five blockchains, different blockchains? Three right now. comfortable with the way in which you move from blockchain to blockchain and hope that the volume doesn't change. So does that mean there's a bridge between Ethereum and Algorand, Ethereum and uh, what is Stellar and... Either that or they're like separate deployments and they're considered basically the same thing. Is there a way like to my use microphone, like... My headphones just went out and I have to oh. check this out. One second. Why is there a random floating hand? I want a hand. <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> what is what just happened? Okay. 
Corey just had a random hand, which I can only assume is his wife's, show him something on a camera. He started laughing, and now he's gone. So we're going to keep on with the show. We're going to keep it rolling. Um, so this is huge news. In my, in my viewpoint, uh, the reason why I get so excited, obviously, is because every single week we see this new mountain of legitimacy heading towards cryptocurrency um, from very large entities that most normally were basically shutting crypto uh, for a very long time. And it isn't until the last two years or so, last year, really, where do you want to explain yourself? He's still fixing his audio in his headphones. Oh, okay. <laughs> my headphones went out, so I had to fix my audio. Oh, okay. I had to um, plug them in. My battery died, apparently. What was the, whose floating hand was that that came in mm. and showed you a meme? Aaron had to show me a message that was, uh, I, 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 my phone died. All my shit's dying, apparently. Uh, <laughs> last week, like, I haven't had a phone in like half a week, which has been very strange, uh, to not have a phone. Really? Nice, nice, strange, or bad, strange? Uh, both, right? It's been nice to be like disconnected and not be looking at this thing every 20 minutes or more. Or, and, uh, but like, there's a lot of stuff that I like rely on it for, like just general information. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get up and do like move to, to figure out the rest <laughs> of it. Um, and like people, like some people I only like SMS text with, um, mm-hmm. because they're old and I don't get to talk to them. And I see. So, but like, and so my, apparently the, the phone that I had ordered was supposed to be delivered today and it is not being delivered because they're afraid of my driveway. <laughs> so I that's see. what Aaron told me. <laughs> interesting interesting segue Ralph. so sorry to, sorry to disappoint what we were talking about i thought it was a meme that was much better than that but no me not. the meme was our fedex delivery is so garbage well make a safer driveway bro i don't know what to tell you it is a dangerous driveway um so, so visa settling in usdc which is very vague language because usdc started as an erc20 token and now it's like a engulfing everything token so it's kind of even hard to to get down to what this actually means or what the ramifications could be because usdc it seems has evolved since 2018 2017 is, is it still erc like just erc20 on ethereum it's not anything mm. else right well the erc20 standard is kind of the standard across all fungible token blockchains hmm. what was the usdc v2 I think they've streamlined. So I know if, if it took after what happened with um, what they did with the Aragon um, up, up token upgrade, they updated the contracts because um, they wanted to streamline them to be less, to be more gas efficient. So standard transfer didn't cost mm-hmm. so much. Uh, if, I, if I had to guess, a V2 would do something like that. Or they removed certain functionality. Well, USDC doesn't seem like they would remove administrative functionality. That seems like they would add it or make it more secure. I don't know what it was, but it's usually just upgrading the contracts and migrating the token to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like when you, so if you were to do that, if you, instead of like, you know, like, like changing a parameter on a contract, it's not something you would do when you deploy a smart contract, which is what these tokens are. An RC20 token on Ethereum is a, is a smart contract. Um, if you want to update it or change it, you need to make a new contract, which gives you a new address. And so in order to do that, you then have to tell all the exchanges that your token lives here now. 
and not the old address. And so in order to like get balance accounts and track transfers and see who has what, they need, they need to change their backend infrastructure to look at a new contract and consider that the right token. So I don't know what updates they did, but it's not an easy process. Mm. This shit goes deep. God damn, this shit goes deep. Okay, so um, I can't even conclude what it means then. If if Visa is is uh, I can't even deduce what it means if Visa is settling USDC transactions when USDC transactions could live on multiple blockchains. What it does mean is that we've certainly reached a threshold of legitimacy where they're not just ignoring us. They're yeah. actually using us and they're potentially going to make themselves more efficient or hedge something. Like, I, don't, I don't know like what, what their game plan is here other than maybe tap into the market and, you know, like, Hey guys, we're, it's like, when, uh, what's, what's his name? Um, Steve Buscemi that like meme or he's like, in a high school is like, Hey kids, I'm just here for high school. Like it's one of those situations. Mm -hmm. Do you think that like, um, I mean, this does grow an enormous value like proposition for the USDC. So in is... terms of on ramps, it's a lot of on ramps, but if you look at a lot of the, the stuff that we've been seeing lately, this is something that just Wayne just said in the chat, we can put that on the screen. Uh, if you look at on ramps, a lot of what's been happening. I think PayPal is also one of the ones that we have on the list. If not, that they recently started allowing users to uh, check buy out. and sell crypto, crypto checkout. It's a crypto pretty checkout. catchy, but it's like you can't do anything. You can't you can't add crypto to your account in PayPal. You can't withdraw crypto you have in PayPal from to a different wallet. So it's not there's no ownership there. They're just giving mm -hmm. you a kind of exposure to it, and that may be like a first step for them because building a fleshed out, full fleshed out wallet is not easy. Mm -hmm. Also, there's a lot of like legal ramifications and, and risk mitigation for for doing a wallet when you already have a traditional banking infrastructure. It's like as, a, as an initial easy path to dip your toes into crypto, um, having full control over the crypto at all times on as a custodian, like as a custodian to your users is probably what these people are going to be doing. And I don't foresee them being like, um, and banks being like, okay, you can have crypto here, send it from wherever you want, withdraw it to wherever you want. It's going to be like, no, you buy it here, it stays here, you then get rid of it through us. Mm. It's getting closer, Corey. From like a, yeah, from like a, like, uh, them keeping their books clean, it's the easiest way to do it. Can you explain what EIP 2535 is? Not off the top of my head. Diamond standard. <laughs> Jesse, what the hell kind of question is Where that? Where are you at? Like I'm reading uh, the USDC V2 update. I'm looking at the, um, the contract what? update. It's called uh, EIP 2535 diamond standard. It's a, it says uh, design pattern for upgradability and composability. And so I'm just looking at the, the way that the actual... Um, the actual smart contract changed. Uh, it's a standard for changing addresses in a delicate call contract. So it's like it's a it's trying to build a standard for how you upgrade contracts. So most of the time, well, there's a there's a common um, development and deployment pattern um, that's optimized for making sure you can upgrade your contracts later. That's mm -hmm. like very modularized. So like you, the way you do it is like you have some type of 
program that you want to build and you then break that up into like its core components, mod, like modules, if you will, because that's mm -hmm. what modular programming is for. Um, and then you each of one of those is a separate contract. And so like and you break those up in terms of like what core functions do they have and like how easy it is to upgrade just this thing without impacting other stuff. So like anything that needs to be upgraded that impacts itself, it becomes its own contract in a lot of ways, which then becomes its own address to deploy it. And then what you do is you deploy like a proxy ad, a proxy contract, which yeah. points, which like directs incoming transactions to the right contract to then execute. So that way, if like you want to upgrade something, you only have to upgrade one part of the whole program as opposed to the entire thing. And so it gives you kind of this like separation of concerns when doing smart contract upgrades, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very big thing when you have to deal with like uh, storage slots. There's some real weird, uh, subtle issues when you how, you, how you upgrade smart contracts where you can like really shoot yourself in the foot yeah. uh, or just wreck the whole thing. And so uh, this delegate call design pattern is a way to kind of mitigate a lot of that risk. Um, the 2535, what looks like from a surface level is a standard for how to do that. I see. The more and more this show goes on, the longer I see that, yes, we are going to have the last boss of centralization and we've done nothing to make anything trustless. What we've done is transformed how you trust things. It's always been that way. It's less, it's more about like, it's a, it's a balance between humans and the, in the system you're trusting. Yeah. All we've done, do is you want humans to trust stuff. or do you want that the more that trust to be like a, a system that's run by like a fair human game? You know what I mean? Like a lot of these decentralized networks are like proof of work is just a, is a way to pit a bunch of humans together to play a game uh, to, to do certain types of competition. <laughs> Nailed it. That picture is perfect. So it's, just, it's it's literally just like the matrix. Like we need the machines and they need us. Like that's it. That's 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 it. That's the that's the punchline for anyone out there in the audience that hasn't seen all three of them. That's that's what you're watching. That's you know, spoiler alert. Uh well that's know. a weird thing that I've been trying to like we've been trying to encapsulate its status and try and figure out what that kind of narrative is because we're our whole thing has always been kind of community building but how do you how do you how do you market that how do you broadcast that and like so like it we've currently gotten to a point where um like the works that we are involved in are run by algorithms that are like developed by humans but kind of on their own in a lot of ways like recommendation engines are the majority of the things or the reasons why we stay on social networks mm -hmm. right um and they're optimized to hold on to your attention. So what you choose, what what's given to you, presented to you to stay on a specific uh, social network, whether it be YouTube or, or Facebook feed, is designed so that you're going to engage with it more times so they can feed you ads. Uh, and that's a machine, right? That's a machine serving you. Like there's people that watch the algorithm. They do minor tweaks and stuff. But for the most part, the vast majority of what's happening is that humans have their hands off. Uh, and that's led to kind of this, this very impersonal outrage driven attention seeking behavior when you engage with like the communities you're involved with. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm curious how, like, I think what's interesting about 
how we're building trustless systems is we're reintroducing humans as the curation mechanism in a lot of ways. Like mm. we're just trusting that the rules that are set forth in whatever game we make don't get changed. Mm -hmm. And they're enforced whenever you play the game without a human saying, yeah, this is how it's done. But then from there, you're relying on humans to do everything else. So like all the like AMMs like Uniswap or what are they automated market makers? Those are, that's all humans making decisions. And then the machine just making sure the rules are enforced. Hmm. You think this is like a perpetual cat and mouse game? Cause like the only yeah, reason maybe. we're doing this is cause the old system didn't work too well, or we didn't like well, how the old system like, worked. Well, it's, there's this like interesting thing about like complexity theory and, and complex, complex system is that like understanding emergence is really, really, really hard. So like you build a, you design a game of simple rules. Um, and for those who want an example of this, go look at the, go look at the game of life, uh, with, by Wolfram, Stephen Wolfram. Like it's a very, very, it's a game of very, very simple rules, but like infinite complexity to a point where like you, you don't understand what, um, can happen when you just let the game play itself and you just like set it up and you push go. Like it's, it's very, very chaotic and a game of very simple rule, very few simple rules can lead to something that's incredibly chaotic where you can't understand it. And so we're really bad in emergence. So we've, that's what we've been trying to do. And social networks, the way they currently are in web two is an example of that. We're seeing what the emergent property was is aggregation of data, um, tremendous fee-based economies and um, kind of this circular loop of like the companies are doing whatever they can to garner attentions. Even content creators are doing what they can to garner attention so they can monetize the attention to mm -hmm. serve ads to them. And so like the internet was built to serve ads very efficiently the way it's currently made. And I think these, these systems, these blockchain systems are um, an attempt to try and build something new to see what other emergent phenomena we can come up with because we're not happy with this one. So what what else besides attention seeking or attention harvesting is do you think that is going to be an emergent property of this surveillance? Is that good? Oh, you dropped the bomb, but let's. It's the same thing. Up. I mean, it's just like well, when you tend towards aggregating a bunch of data, um, you also have like a social implication of like offloading responsibility to somebody else because it's not your responsibility. When something goes wrong, you just say, hey, company, fix it. Something went wrong. Like the, the the trending behavior is somebody else takes care of the situation for me because I don't have the control to do it. Now you have that control? We got to say- You have the option to have that control. I want to talk about this after the interview. Yep. This is good. I like that. Surveillance doesn't- So what you're saying is surveillance doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. I did not say that. Yeah, we're, he just said a property, like an emergent property of Web three, might be surveillance. Yeah, but it's who, all, it, who, it's, it is it is that? a property of Web two for sure, but it's it's very clear that it, how it happens and what's given up, uh, and, and who and who's doing it. Mm. Uh, that like the type how surveillance is done, and whether or not it's worse or better is remains to be seen, but it'll still be there. Okay. We got to talk about it after the interview. So, so we interviewed Chad. You're your normal everyday Chad, you know, doing Chad things on the Chad Chad, Chad night, um, doing Chad things on a Chad night. 
with his Chad days. Uh, Jesse, did you like that interview? Yeah, he seems like a very cool guy. I'm very down to earth. I was on. I was not happy that I had to miss this one, but I was indisposed. I Sometimes see. it bees that way. That's why we have la- three layers of redundancy. Well, more, more than three, actually. But you know, Jesse powered through. Did a solo dolo on this one. No, you know, Alicia. Alicia joined me. She actually had some questions because he was an oh, ex-skater. Shit, Alicia, what the questions? Well, yeah. she said and Alicia saw him on articles back when you know in her younger days, I guess. <laughs> okay. I hope that's the clip. I hope that's, I hope that's the clip she gave us. Are you in the interview? You on the clipped interview, Alicia? Yeah. All right. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, everybody. You know who it is. It's uh, host number three, Jesse Broke, and I'm here with uh, Alicia, and I'm also here with Chad Knight. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, Chad. So uh, so tell me a little bit about yourself, and um, for, for, the, for the people who are listening, tell me about um, what, what you're doing. What do you do for a living, and you know, how does that intersect with crypto? And, and why am I here? What am exactly. I doing here? So yeah, that's a great question, and you know, given that question, if you would ask me a year ago, I probably would have had a difficult time answering it. But okay. so um, just briefly, my background is uh, I grew up in Ohio, um, ended up getting into skateboarding <laughs> really heavily, pretty young, which was just like very attracted to um, kind of the, the unlimited potential and unlimited creativity you could have with it. You know, not a lot of rules, no coaches, no hours, no um, required like, uh, anything, you know what I mean? You just, you do when and where you want to. So I got really into that, um, got sponsored relatively young. And when I turned 18, I moved out to California and became a professional skateboarder and did that for probably 15 years, way too long, a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that brings me to me, like trying to kind of figure out, like, how do I get out of this? How do I transition into something else? Um, and I had this great opportunity that my friend presented where uh, I was doing skate park design for a little bit and it exposed me to the 3D tools. So, and again, I had that same kind of uh, shared passion that, that I that I had with skateboarding and that same level of excitement of like, whoa, like you can literally do whatever you can think of in here. Mm. as long as you can come up with it and as long as you have the discipline to learn it you know and trial and error yeah so many of the same things that you go through um so and then you know trying to actually figure out how to get a job then after this you know so yeah the skate park thing didn't last long but then i moved into um footwear because in skateboarding during my career i had a signature shoot so i have experience with like the the footwear design and development process Mm -hmm. And I had friends at footwear companies. So I basically um, bugged somebody, <laughs> bugged enough people enough times to get my hands on a computer yeah. that had 3D software on it that I could learn. And at the time, um, like when I said that I was that I had done it for too long, at yeah. this point I was staying on a friend's couch. So okay. the career was kind of on a downward path. Um, so... <laughs> I locked myself in a room for like six months and taught myself the software, just YouTube university and, um, got to the point where I felt comfortable having, uh, or, or applying for a job in footwear. Like I felt like I knew what I was doing enough. 
got a job at DC Shoes doing that, um, was the only person there doing it. So when I came in, I was working in the, the development part where it's kind of CAD based, a lot of engineering 3D stuff. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, in every industry, when people say digital or 3D, they, they just think it's like that stuff. You know, so wait, let me ask you this. Did, yeah. did you use like uh, uh, Blender, like what is it, 3ds Max, SolidWorks? Like wh which, what were you using? So this is where it's funny. I I initially learned on Cinema 4D, which is very okay. similar to like a Maya mm -hmm. uh, 3D Max. It's a, it's a parametric polygon modeling for visualization as opposed to when I started at DC. They're like, cool, here's Rhino. This is yeah. what you need to do for all these engineering files. And I'm like... I have to go back to YouTube University now and learn how to do Rhino in like a week. So yeah. that's what I did. But but I always still had that love of like the visualization side of it. Yeah. Always really wanted to explore that. So again, not not having anybody else around me that did 3D yet at this point. Like I'm still just kind of on an island. I was under the assumption if you do 3D, you do all of it. You know all of it. So I learned CAD. I learned um, polygon modeling. I learned animation. I learned you know, motion graphics, rendering materials. Like I just learned yeah. the whole gamut. Yeah. So it's a from lot there. Then I, I went on to Vans to manage a visualization team. And then um, I moved over to Nike about five years ago to um, oversee the 3D footwear design team. Okay. I have a question here. Mm -hmm. Where did, how did your experience from like being a pro skater and actually using the shoe you know, knowing how it feels in the wear and tear to that and then yeah. designing it versus maybe some of your colleagues who maybe are just coming straight from school or something like that is different in, in your design concept. I mean, was your experience of being someone who's like, I know how <laughs> these shoes feel. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that the, the being listen to the voice of the athlete is what Nike is always saying. And that mm -hmm. is essentially what that is. Like as a user, here's what my feedback is. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't think, you know, had I not un been forced to kind of understand the mechanics of a shoe and why it does what, you know, like mm -hmm. that's been super helpful moving yeah. forward. Um, yeah. Cause otherwise I wouldn't really even know where to start. Like, where do you start to even draw on this thing or, you no, know. but so going back to the vans portion of my career, that's when yeah. I started to just do more managerial stuff and didn't do as much creative work. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to lose the progress I was making with learning. And I also still kind of was, you know, craving a creative outlet. Um, so I started uh, uh, inspired by people. Um, I committed to just doing one render every day, something, you know what I mean? Just at least sit down and put myself in the, the 3D application, no matter what, what it is, just to keep familiar with it and just make sure that I'm not losing anything and I'm continuing to learn. And then it, it very quickly just kind of turned into this, um, like this this beast, like its own thing. You know what I mean? Like it turned into a real outlet for me. And um, I've always been fascinated with art and really uh, wanted to pursue it, but I never had a medium that I could control well enough that I felt like um, that I could really use to communicate my stories that that I wanted to tell. So. Um, it, it again, it's just kind of snowballed, you know what I mean? And it's like, as I learn more, my work, I think, you know, gets better because I have more tools to my, uh, at my disposal. Um, and yeah.
<laughs> Interesting. So you really picked up a lot on the job, but then also on your own. Um, yeah. So the job part is definitely um, kind of where I, I, I put to work the things I learn outside of work. So, um, you know, and it started before I even got a job doing it professionally. So, um, and it's also just, again, like this, this comparison to skateboarding, I sound like, like a broken record, but it's, there's just something, um, something there where there's just such a connection with it. Um, in terms of you just kind of want to always do it, you know what I mean? It's just, the passion is just there so much. Um, but so, yeah, like I would, I would definitely, I would go home and I would try to figure out, um, you know, knowing, knowing what other softwares and techniques were out there that we weren't using at whichever company I was working for at the time, I would go out and explore that stuff. So I was always, always trying to, um, stay apprised of what the newest technology was, new software. Um, but just, you know, wanting to keep learning with it, but also, you know, just having fun with it too, and not having take it too seriously. And that's why I've never really done anything with it professionally. I've yeah. sold prints here and there, but you know, like just when someone else was willing to help me set it up, because like I said, it was just a hobby and it was an outlet for me. Yeah. Um, and it, it was just up until very recently, um, something that I had made about $800 total from over the last five years. So it wasn't really anything I was pursuing. <laughs> sounds, sounds similar to what we do with the podcast. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, so when you said something that, uh, I'm keen on, um, using as a transition. So you said you stay apprised of new technology, mm-hmm. which kind of is a good transition for us to I talk about crypto. Yes. <laughs> so how does this, how does this happen? When, when, are, when am I going to get NFT shoes? Oh man, I, you need an avatar first, or it depends on what you mean by NFT shoes. I guess. Uh, thing. Yeah. Tell me everything. I, I, I have no idea where, where Nike fits into like the NFT community. Like what, what are they doing? Well, I can't speak to that. Um, <laughs> the is that they're doing things though. Are there conversations All being those had? Contracts. Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I haven't been through the, um, the public speaking course yet. At okay. Nike. <laughs> But um, essentially, it's it's a very simple concept. It's it's an, an NFT is essentially an asset class or uh, a vehicle of being able to take digital assets and put them onto the blockchain and have them uh, tokenized, in which you can then prove ownership, you can prove um, scarcity. You know what I mean? And that's that's the real main point. It's just the way I look at it is it's just the marketplace for the metaverse because it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be art is the thing. Mm-hmm. Like it can be skins for your avatar. It can be the deed to your house. It can mm-hmm. be, you do a virtual house. You know what I mean? All right. it is, is is a digital asset and you know, you package it up in this technical term and stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, non-fungible just means it's an item. It's not like a class of currency. Mm-hmm. So, it, it's interesting though, because I think that it's just come so late into the game that that's why there's this rush into it right now. Um, I feel like what they probably have been around for a long time, but I feel like this technology is coming very late into the game and it should have been around 
for a while at this point. It's like you've got the virtualization of all these things. You know, you've got the the the, you know, the 3D environment, which is like mm -hmm. the 3D software and yeah. virtual intelligence and all these things, but the marketplace for it and being able to prove ownership mm -hmm. of, of virtual assets, it just seems like it's coming really late in the game. But um, I'm very happy it's here. So what do you what do you uh, have you have you done any modeling um, for like Decentraland? Have you looked into that? I curiosity. was just talking. Uh, yes, I'm going to be exploring that as of tonight. Interesting. Okay. But that that's my goal, really, with all of this is is being able to create virtual worlds mm -hmm. um, in, in game environments and just deploy those and have sculpture gardens and just this fun interactive experiences where uh, you know just with where the technology is going it's going to be so hard to distinguish from reality very soon in these and it's going to be people are going to be spending a lot of time i think in these environments so i definitely want to explore um how we can make the most of these the virtual worlds because again you're not limited by physics you're not you know there's proximity there's no limitations yeah and and the nfts just connect right into it Ted, you, you had said two things. You said like with your digital stuff that you were doing as a hobby and really into as your creative outlet that you made maybe at the most the past five years is like $800. Yeah. And at the same time with this NFT market that has just kind of exploded, even though it's kind of been around within crypto for a little bit, but mm -hmm. this last year, it's just really just went popping. Yeah. Uh, what what was it about this market, this digital thing that you, you also said that, you know, this should have been something that's been part of maybe basically part of the internet from the beginning or some fashion already. What yeah. was it particularly about this? Because there's been some other things that people have tried to do to kind of monetize digital art to help artists or people have control that you think artists are just going hog for the NFTs. Well, I think that buyers are going hog for it, which uh -huh. has made the artists go hog for it. Uh -huh. um, I, I don't know what the tipping point was. I think Beeple's mm -hmm release into the crypto art or his his entrance into it because he's uh like you know i would call it beepleism if i had to coin people you know, what this this is but you know he he was just the first one to do it and he's inspired all of us but i think that so when he came onto the platform and he's got such such a big name outside mm -hmm. of even at that point i think okay. that brought a lot of attention to it and then the fact that it, it sold for six million i think that first one mm. was huge you know so that was like then it went on the news and then you start hearing more and more about it and then it just kind of hits that tipping point so but i, I think that it should have been it seems like the hype over bitcoin and ethereum and the crypto should have been a result of that marketplace of art and yeah like that's why i feel like it went a little bit backwards because you want to like understand what the purpose is of having these these tokens or these assets um, before you just start buying them. <laughs> it's interesting because because you're saying that we we put the the wagon or the cart in front of the horse, but we still we there's still more uh, there's still more cart that we're still putting in front of the horse, yeah, which is there's the, still more wagon because oh, wow. uh, because storage of these NFTs is being yeah. done in mostly a centralized fashion. Oh so, yeah. So it's interesting because for posterity purposes, right, your NFT could be swapped. And so that media could be swapped out. I think, yeah, because 
there, there's there's ways to code that in too, right? To where I mean, you can have it update itself or the ability to update it. Yeah. So, from what I understand, like the the hash that it's ref that so there's there's like JavaScript that I'm assuming the way that I've seen like uh, crypto zombies work in the past mm -hmm. is they they pull like a hash. Uh, like they being like the JavaScript code pulls the hash and then transforms it by referencing that, like converting that hash into a URL or like oh, uh, some sort okay. of reference to the media itself, which the media itself, that image or that video or that tweet or whatever that song is hosted on somebody's centralized database mm -hmm. more often than not. And so now we're, we're having this problem where now we're going to have to create um, essentially, you remember LimeWire or BitTorrent in the past, right? Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're having to like, recreate those structures but a crypto version so that we can store you know nfts decentralized yes yeah and so that's that's more of the cart that's coming yeah i would imagine that i mean it seems like there's so many optimizations still happening just in in the crypto space in general that i mean it's remarkable to me as someone who's fairly new over the last couple of years like how much there still is to do or it can be done but yeah so i would imagine that there's a lot of cart still coming there's a lot of cart <laughs> i'm sure uh, my question for you is um as an artist like with the the amount of control that empty the nt nfts right, with the smart contracts give an artist mm -hmm. that's something that maybe they didn't really have before is that something that an artist even wants because I know this is like a dialogue that within our creative communities, like about monetization, about control, about just doing it, uh, that type of freedom. I mean, is this something that really does give people the freedom that they're seeking to have a, a complete say in their art, or is that are we just fooling ourselves again? <laughs> oh, that's a, no, that's a great point. Um, and no, I think that, um, I think that the, the I don't think there's anybody who's, well, I'm sure there are some people, but I, I don't think there's anything against the money that mm -hmm. people are getting for their work that they've been doing for years, you know, just out of the, the love of it. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, you're, I'm just trying to think how to answer this. So in terms of like, are we fooling ourselves? I yeah. think we are by saying that every and any NFT is worth a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. It's like going into a, an art store or a museum and saying everything in here, or that's a terrible example. I think <laughs> let's say there was garbage art in that museum as well. Right. Yeah. Walking in and just saying art is worth a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars. At some point, people are going to start to notice that it's just a marketplace. So, I mean, there are people who are, who are changing their style and stuff, I think to address these consumers. But at the same time, like, it's no different than us selling in a normal gallery, except that the, the certificate is digital or it's a virtual certificate. So I, I think that there's a lot of people rushing in a bit blindly to some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm very confident, like, you know, in the future of it and everything. But um, no, I, I mean, I don't I don't think we're fooling ourselves. Okay. But that's a that's a that's a really fair question, I think. 
Well, I, th- I think it's something that's often, you know, as a creative, is bantered around how much do you want to monetize? How much, you know, like you said, some people are changing their art to to address the consumer. Mm-hmm. And that can, some for some people, that can eat into them. Some people like, okay, that's the thing that I sell so I can do the thing that I need to do. And these but, are the trade-offs and stuff like that. And exactly. I'm wondering if the NFT market with the, the, the high value of it and the ability to, in some sense, the smart contracts that have the control where you what was it there was an artist that like kind of took his art back had like oh a, yeah he changed like thousands of them to like uh i forget like some something dumb he, he yes um the, the art behind it the swap NFT. the art out at, mm-hmm. like the type of creative control that you could have maybe it's too much or too many choices i i, I just just wondering if it if for the sake of the art like if it's I don't know. Maybe it's it could be too much. Maybe it's too little, or maybe, like I said, it could be like a grand illusion where we just create another bigger cage box that we're already in. You know. <laughs> I think that we just like we just opened up a new level to a video game, and there's so much to explore. Uh huh. It just seems overwhelming. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it does seem overwhelming because it's a whole new way of being able to sell. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's a it's a it's a whole new way of even being able to package up assets and sell them. You could sell them. You know, by by frame or by part or whatever, you know. But yes. um, I know that that even the small sacrifices some of these artists might be making to their integrity with their work. Yes. The fact is, they're normally chasing contract work all day long. Yeah. And this is going to be so game changing in terms of um, giving freedom to artists to have the time to focus in the 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 resources to be able to start doing some incredible stuff because a lot of these guys in the past and girls and women are, have been have been doing this on like laptops, you know what I mean? Like just with very crude instruments. Yes. And I think it's, it, there's just gonna be this whole wave of, of creative beasts, I feel like coming I've, out. I've been watching the, the, the digital in, NFT market and I've seen from like kind of really crude kind of pixel, and then, oh, there's like, oh, someone's doing this. And then someone's like a really good pixel artist comes in and does it. And then yep. there's like this kind of wave of change. And then you see the progression of some artists. They started out this way to another mm-hmm. way. It's just like with it, even was like Instagram feed when they're artists or photographer. And we can catch them from the beginning and just see oh, yeah. or going back and seeing the, the change in real time, really. Yeah. And it has to do with the ability of them being able to sell some of their work and then upgrading and changing and mm-hmm. learning. And you see that progression. And It'd be fascinating, like if you were to get a collective of work, say, like for example, like a Picasso's, you know, <laughs> have the collection because it seems like digital Picasso's, where you see the, the the different changes or moods of particular artists that you can follow yep, or yep. own. And I, 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 I'm very hopeful because I've I've talked talked to a couple people that are in the digital works. Like you really need to look into this as an opportunity for you to at least pay some bills. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, what what what's the evil in it? I mean, yeah. it's, it's something that you've worked hard on and mm-hmm. you're proud of it. And you want to if, if someone else wants to enjoy it, like I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's great. And I think, like I said, it just empowers people to be able to do more of it and be able to do more stuff for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, my cat is here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I think that there's going to be uh, 
different little factions that split off of this too. You know, there'll be, there will start to be different markets for different types of art, or maybe this one's just for audio or, you know what I mean? Like it, it is just that marketplace. So I think that the progression is going to go really quickly because people are just going to constantly be able to one up one another or, or progress their own work um, for, for a long time, at least just because there's so much opportunity in this space still, you know, like, none of us have had the resources to really go try to put a video game together. You know what I mean? So that kind of stuff is going to be phenomenal in terms of what it's going to do. But then I think something else that's really interesting is when, when you watch the artists from, or when you look at the careers of artists, um, historically, they had very little change to the, the, the tools they use and their craft was what it was. And they just mastered it over and over and with, with digital and virtual artists, there's constantly new techniques and new tools coming out and new methodologies and new ways of, of doing things. And I think technique so so heavily influences at least my style and and whatever it is that I'm working on. I think you'll you'll see a new kind of um, speed of of evolution of artists' styles. And I think that there might be um, even more of an expectation for that from people moving forward just because you can you can learn more quickly and you can output much more quickly i think with virtual and digital tools that seems fair i think that makes sense speed of art is going to go faster yeah i think so i mean i i couldn't do an oil painting every day for five years i don't think <laughs> <laughs> but your hands would be like this probably well i just don't think i would get much done like i just think that those things take a long time you know what i mean like oh, it's yeah. not and i have a really strong hand too oh, okay. <laughs> yes <laughs> hmm. i don't know where to take this now I well, so, of, um, yeah. i think what would be good is um so a lot of us coming into this this um, crypto art space are very familiar with the art piece and kind of catching up on the the crypto part. I think a lot of us have, have been interested in the space for a long time just because it's kind of an alternative um, DeFi thing and we're all a little bit off center. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but I think that we, at least I can speak for myself. I know a, a decent amount about cryptocurrency and, and how it's created and the purpose and how it's used. Um, but now a lot of us are trying to fill in the gaps really about like, okay, well, what does this really mean? And, and how's this happening? And what are the different um, coins for, you know what I mean? And, and all that. So um, I think it would be great if you would be willing to give a little bit of a perspective from your side on what, how you would explain this. And if you could explain it, uh, more simply than I've been able to. Sure. So I'll, I'll give it a whirl. I'm not sure if I can do it justice. So I came into the space, just a little bit of um, pretext is I came into the space uh, probably late 2016, early 2017 um, in terms of like actually um, digging into information about cryptocurrencies and actually eventually trading them, right? Mm -hmm. um, other than that, it, it had been on my periphery from, you know, just being online, 
right? Yeah. Like I'd seen little kids trading uh, video game skins for Bitcoin. And I was like, what is this? Why don't you just get a PayPal account? Why don't you use Skrill or like, you know, something else? Mm -hmm. I, I remember it just, it didn't click with me. Um, I don't even know how it clicked with me in 2016, 2017, but I just, I, I, I know that I think it came from me being in a position where I wanted to know more about money. That's what happened, right? I wanted to know more about money. And I knew that I'd been playing video games since I was nine. Mm -hmm. And I know about video game markets. And they're not too different than real world markets. Yep. Um, and later on, uh, sometime um, during my later years, later teenage years um, and, and school, like I... I went beyond just kind of like, like how you did you, the onus was you need to, you know, get off the couch. You need to have something for yourself. And so for me, that was like, okay, so if, I, if we're all working for money at the end of the day, mm -hmm. what is money? How do I get more of this thing, this resource to give me more time to do what I would like to do? Right. Mm -hmm. I think we all kind of like approach money like that. Maybe some people want money for the sake of money. Other people want money because it affords them this universal resource to free up their time. Yep. Yep. And, and so, you know, I, I, I went original like the traditional, uh, market route. I learned, um, about different tools that are offered there, different markets. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I came to crypto, when I, when I went into, um, reading about Bitcoin and its white paper, um, I was able to, from my background, um, I have a, a, an engineering kind of background. So I was able oh. to see like this, this makes sense. Yeah. Why yeah. hadn't I ever read this <laughs> instead of looking at yeah. the token or the currency that's floating around, look at the technical aspects of what it actually brings. Yes. And you know, media was democratized in ways that, you know, um, people who have copyright, uh, on, on media, they got upset about but in terms of the information and the the entertainment value like it seemed like cryptocurrency was like that except for money where money is traditionally kind of like a rigged game um so i saw cryptocurrency as like my way to kind of get ahead in terms yeah. of finance uh finances right so it's just like the, in video games there's this one thing that you can see that is going to take off like this is kind of like that one thing that i can yeah. see yeah 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 and um and so i rode the bitcoin train up and down um and <laughs> and then i and i realized um this is great but on a technical level these are why it's not great these are these are you know these are the cons i found mm -hmm. out the pros and i found out the cons right yep um and then all these different uh, projects were blossoming in 2017 all these icos the ico craze everything was rocketing i was like oh, yeah i don't understand like why why is this this token like an erc20 token on ethereum why is this worth so much money so quickly? Like, what is the, what is the project? What is the purpose behind this? This just seems like a like a stand-in for hope, well, for yeah. an idea. I always just looked at them as competitors to one another, but they're all unique in functionality, mm -hmm. which is what I think is really fascinating. And I think that there's so many buzzwords used in all these tech spaces too that it, it's 
a lot of people I don't think understand even fundamentally like that what that is like they are all different and they all do serve a unique purpose yeah they do and that's so over over the past you know few years uh, I got involved with this podcast in terms of slack and I, I used to like be a dgen and like show my like like trading like stuff and then uh at, at some point um over the years like that that was a long bear market right I yes. felt that <laughs> yes yes and uh i started looking like uh I, I i did a i did a podcast uh with d one of the hosts on the show where we actually went further into the technical aspects of bitcoin and kind of broke down how each piece worked mm -hmm. so that we could understand um what other projects might be having uh improvements on different parts of what bitcoin was originally supposed to be Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can kind of see, okay, so he, this is the wheel of Bitcoin. This is the body. Like if, if you, if Bitcoin were a car, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then I can see that, okay, so this new project, this, we're replacing the wheels with like maybe better, better wheels in some, in some regard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're replacing the body with this project. And then all other projects were like, they're not even car related. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. So we're going from like, uh, maybe maybe it's cars to airplanes or like for ethereum the 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 added functionality that smart contracts uh had on the ecosystem overall you could see that that is a very important implementation right yeah in terms of the the features that you can have that you can tack on in, in addition to just having this digital token that's scarce that's so i have a <laughs> i know that that you're the ones interviewing me but, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> ask your question. <laughs> um, so you know how, like for for three D, there's different files that um, have different functionalities. Yeah. Some can, can carry texture maps. Some can carry animation information. Mm -hmm. it, it could different um, tokens enable different functionalities in the NFTs and the potential ability to like change them later or have them morph on their own over time. Like, is that something where this technology would help or would that just be a coding invention? I, I think, so I, I can't speak to the ERC721 protocol in its entirety because I, 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 in, in, in I haven't dissected that one in particular. I have looked at ERC20s and the original Bitcoin. Um, so to answer your question, I can't say for 100% sure, but I do know that in my mind, when I look at the overall... Uh, crypto space, I see that there are projects that, so in my mind, ERC721, let me just say this first, is a hash, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's all it is, right? It's just extra information that's part of the, that, that token, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so there is only so much information that, that I don't know how big it is. I guess it would depend on, on whatever the blockchain and how they, how they develop their ERC seven twenty one equivalent because like there are multiple blockchains with with smart contracts as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they're also even faster than Ethereum and cheaper. Yes. And and in terms of the hash for the ERC seven twenty one itself, mm -hmm. they can code that differently. But at the end of the day, you're still limited to like a fixed amount of information. It'll be like let's say. Uh, I don't even know what the standard hash. Uh, so SHA-256 is um, 256 bits of information, right? So divided by eight. Um, let me just 
And that's just, I'm so rusty. So 32, 32 characters, right? Oh, how much information can you compress in 32 characters? Yeah. yeah well, maybe yeah. I can do like, like crypto zombies. You can change, like you can either reference a URL, you can reference like a file, which is very easy. That's low hanging fruit, right? And that's essentially what NFTs are right now. They're just referencing some media elsewhere. However, file name that's encoded with that yeah. 32 bits is or 32 characters is what you have. Yes. Um, and then for the crypto zombies, like each section of those 32 characters would code for like the zombie hair color, the zombie body itself, the the face properties. Um, so you can only code so much information. I'll kind of keep saying that over and over again. But <laughs> no, but that, that's a good point that I don't think a lot of people understand. Yeah. Um, so I, in terms of like what you can do, it's kind of limited to how well your blockchain scales because at some at the end of the day you have to be able to move the nft right because that's kind of part of it you don't want to just be stuck with an nft yeah. forever and so to be able to do operations and to be able to you you want to you want your question was originally can like i morph this nft right mm -hmm. can i interact with it with another blockchain potentially yeah or yes or yes or, yeah. potentially yeah potentially there you so you need to have this thing called like a bridge in order to transmit tokens back and forth mm -hmm. between one blockchain and another blockchain. Okay. And I am not sure if you, you could, I don't know if it would be the best way to put in the information in a token and tra that transmits between the bridges or to just have like a separate, like essentially a separate, um, communication channel that's separate from token manipulation yeah. to transmit the information that this this ERC721 on Ethereum needs to change. And I'm sending that communication signal from like the Tron blockchain or something. So, okay, that's super helpful. Um, it's something I would love to discuss because I know that there's a, a lot of controversy around it. Um, it seems like is the, um, the impact to the environment that NFTs are having. And okay. I know that there's a lot of information, a lot of misinformation out there. Uh -huh. That so, is kind of overblown. I know. And that's kind of what I wanted because it appears, in my opinion, that people are, are mixing the term mining and minting when minting is just, you know, coding that thing as opposed to mining it, which consumes a ton of energy, correct? It Okay, so... Mining does consume a ton of energy, but what people don't realize is not a ton, but, but yeah, but it, to an NFT. But to an NFT, yes. Yeah. An NFT. What people don't realize with mining is what our ecosystem has done is we've basically have gone to every kind of power group there is when it comes to energy and says, we know, and this is something everybody knows, this is a problem that we've been trying to figure out for the last hundred years since someone came up with the light bulb and started distributing power, is you put out more power than is actually utilized. Mm -hmm. We would like to take some of that excess power. And that's what's current in China. It's what's current in the States. Oh, and wow. so instead of burning that off, they mm -hmm. are actually building a bridge to consume that excess energy. Now, it's not all the excess energy, but it's a lot of it. That excess energy is already, huh. already being created. Uh, so people are saying, oh, you're destroying the environment. And it's like, no, this, this energy is going to get burned off. Yes. It's going to dissipate because we haven't figured out how to have long-term batteries yet. We just haven't. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so we're utilizing that thing that's already being to be created and creating actually something of value. When it comes to the NFTs, they they're just minted. Yeah, they're, they're functions. No different than creating a JPEG. The it's actual totally, energy yeah. consumption and, and power fundamentally. Yes, uh, I think it's just an attack vector to kind of mitigate and dispute this kind of overall ecosystem because it's just a way to people say, oh, it's you know because clean energy and the future and, and the environment is very important and this is oh, another yeah. thing. Yeah, this is another thing that is going to be consuming energy over time. It just will. It's just a factor. You have to build that in. Yeah. But I think they're just using it as a cudgel to just as a way of attacking it. And it has really fundamentally nothing to do overall about our energy structure, how much energy that the cryptocurrencies altogether are consuming or doing or anything like that. I think you need to have a more nuanced discussion about proof of work versus proof of stake, right? That's that's true. I think that's what that's so when you say NFT, so when you say let let me talk to both of you guys at, yeah. right now. So yeah, give me say, information because I need to arm myself for these conversations because I want to make sure that when when you know I'm rebutting that I'm using that I actually have the right information too because I know that just some of these claims seem way too outrageous to even be remotely real. It, it, it it's interesting because even if we tell you our anecdotal stories and you know some of it is based on you know just looking at the statistics of 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 uh, energy consumption mm -hmm. you still should probably at least look for the the, the information yourself like the statistics mm -hmm. yourself because uh one thing is that that i notice in any space right is observational bias we could be looking at the same chart but you could be you could be interpreting it to support your claims and I could be using it to support my claims, yep. which is kind of weird because then we have this problem of interpretation of information, which is the ultimate, like that's the root of the problem, right? So yep. let me, let me speak to the POS or let me speak to proof of work originally. Cause that was the first one that came into, into the space. That was Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. So in terms of the amount of energy, right? So we're talking about energy and how green it is. In terms of energy consumption uh, for proof of work for Bitcoin, um, the security is dependent upon how many miners, like how much hash rate is being contributed to the network, right? So the more people that connect that are mining Bitcoin, the more secure the network is, right? Mm -hmm. But the downside is, is that you have more devices which are consuming more energy, right? Um, so when Alicia says that it's as easy to mint an NFT as it is to make a JPEG, it depends, right? Because it depends. Well, so we're on Ethereum and Ethereum is proof of state, uh, proof of work, sorry, proof of work right now. Right. Mm -hmm. But it will be going to proof of stake. So right now, as it stands, minting an NFT does cost energy right now. And it ultimately will cost energy regardless, because even if I opened up MS Paint on my computer and I drew an image and I saved it as a JPEG, am I not still using electricity? I was so going to say uploading a file to box consumes energy. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're consuming some, some energy at, 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 at some level, but yeah. you're just not consuming as much as um, you would if, if, if it was like an NFT minted on like a proof of work chain ver like yeah. versus a proof of stake chain. Yeah. So proof of work is basically I get a higher probability of getting the next block rewards and 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 uh, of of the of Bitcoin if I'm doing proof of work. And so it behooves me to like suck up to have a bunch of miners online that are have really high hash rates that are really energy efficient. But at the end of the day, I'm still going to be consuming 
more energy relative to the probability that I want to get the next block rewards in Bitcoin yeah. if it's yeah. proof of work, right? But for proof of stake, it's entirely dependent upon how many tokens you actually own, right? So like depending on how many tokens you own, there are different consensus models and different ways of uh, that, that the amount of tokens that you hold contribute to staking rewards, contribute to governance models. Um, and so at the end of the day, it is more energy efficient to run NFTs on a proof of work or proof of uh, stake system versus a proof of work system. But again, we're kind of like in this, maybe somebody will come up with something even like an even better model. And we're, we're just yeah. going to put a new cart in front of that cart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, I would imagine that over time, and maybe this is an absurd claim, but it seems like as, you know, as we move into, to more of a, a virtual existence and in, in metaverse becomes more common and, and there's just more virtual interaction, more virtual meetings, et cetera, more um, virtual events, products being sold. Mm -hmm. Going to, um, I would say, cut down on a lot of the energy consumption outside that's happening that, that needs to be reduced. And I think that that potentially or hopefully could offset, um, you know, the, the energy consumption for what is going to be required to create these things in the future. It's already been in the progress, but 2020, mm -hmm. what happened with the pandemic has demonstrated in a very scientific way oh, yeah. what the difference between outside energy consumption versus inside the digital yeah. world. And I assure you within five years when there's that hardcore peer review scientific studies about the environmental impact of this very much global one year everything happened happening to everybody we'll see yeah. um certain changes and stuff like that and it's already it's already occurring when people are thinking about redesigning their cities to make it more um, pedestrian oh yeah I see that with uh, different european cities have done this for the past couple of decades of mm -hmm. roads putting in bike yeah, lanes yeah. walkthroughs and uh houston has this big project that they're trying to put where they're going to get rid of like one of their highways and put oh, like wow. this green yeah, like this section of their the highway infrastructure, this green walkable passage area and, and part of their, their city to make it to where the concept is something that used to be occurring before cars, where you have the grocery store within basically a 0.5 mile. Oh, wow. You work within within the few blocks that where you live. So you're not going out, spreading out, if you will, and consuming cars, transportation, goods and services and stuff like that coming to you and stuff like that. It's going to be reduced. It's not going to be eliminated, but there will be. Oh, of course not. Yeah. 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 It will be reduced. But yeah, even the, you know, you, you think about the, the, the butterfly effect of all of those things too, or if you keep going and counting like the, the production um, needs to make the physical goods that are out there being made, you know, like so much of that, that stuff. And know, some of that's becoming localized depending on the overall infrastructure of your country as it is mm -hmm. where particularly with like in your world 3d with 3d printers and the changing in manufacturing and they're uh becoming more uh robotic and, and manufacturing is becoming through an interesting space where you might necessarily not need to have someone 
man, you know, coming in from a different country with their product, you might just get, they're already doing pieces, but the, the pieces are might last a bit longer because it's more mm-hmm. efficient to break it apart and create more things. Yeah. And yeah. You're not transporting as much or it's just overall people are thinking of these things are changing to where you're not, uh, you're still going to have trade and all that stuff, but you're not doing as much of it, if you will. It's just mm-hmm. more efficient and it's not uh, consuming as much energy or things of that nature. These are things that are being discussed and planned out and they're seeing little bits of this happening already. Yeah. And whether or not it's going to be enough of a, a global impact to where we're not having, they keep changing the doomsday when it comes to climate change being a permanent thing, but actually changing the environment and changing overall structure and even people structures if you will and stuff like that yeah i mean i can't imagine it's gonna be too long until amazon just comes over and like changes your diaper and makes yeah. sure you're Amazon's fed becoming a way own company <laughs> name the, the sci-fi dystopian corporation and it's it's oh amazon. yeah yeah but i mean yeah so um i have a question too so um this is just kind of um a topic that that I personally am always interested in is the discussion of like digital versus virtual assets. Um, the difference between like a JPEG versus a 3D file, which you can actually go into and, it, and it is immersive or immersive. And, you know, you can utilize those digital assets in there, but digital is really a, a language that can, can host information and it can create programs that can read that information to create these virtual environments. So, <clears throat> excuse me. And the, the reason the reason that it's something that's important to me is because as a as a three D artist, um, I think a lot of the the time, the perception is that it's super easy for us to go in and make a revision, like we just paint over it, um, not realizing that it's not flat, like the. The, the JPEG that you get out of it is just like us having taken a virtual picture in that environment. Mm-hmm. Like we're just doing a virtual photography. So when, when people are confused about what the image is, if it's 3D or not, it's like, it's just an image. If it was a, a 3D, you wouldn't be able to see it. But there's, there's such a, so I would consider that stuff virtual drawing and painting because you're literally doing a, a, a virtual version of what you would be doing in the physical world. Mm-hmm. And then in the immersive world, you have um, you have surfacing, which is CAD work. You've got polygon modeling, which is um, all the entertainment industry work. You've got sculpting, you've got lighting, you've got virtual material. You know, you have all of these other crafts that exist within there and that's expanding. So I just think, it, it does it's us a little bit of a disservice to just classify all of us as digital artists. I feel like you're an artist and then you're classified either like as a virtual XYZ or a physical XYZ. You know what I mean? But to say digital artist is like to say, yeah, we need to hire an artist and you hire an illustrator when you need an architect. Like, Are you saying you wish categorically people were more nuanced? Yeah, and we will need to get there, I think. And that's just something that I've been um, starting to to try to speak up about a little bit more often because I think that it, the more people can understand our space um, and, and they can appreciate it more because I think that everybody, uh, I keep saying everybody, I think that there is a conception that 
that it's a lot of you push a button and it does something mm-hmm. as opposed to it just being another tool. And you're just in there doing that craft that you would be doing in this world virtually. So yeah, I think, I think having it more nuanced would bring a lot more appreciation to it and um, yeah. And just allow people to enjoy it even more. I think, I think you're right. I, uh, I've been having kind of conversations with people that uh, we generalize too much mm-hmm. because it's more digestible. Mm-hmm. The reality of the world is that, you know, I paint myself, like I said, I'm an engineer, right? But I'm an electrical engineer and my background is robotics, physical world, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't really do coding. I can kind of sift through it. But mm-hmm. if I broad brush, say I'm an engineer, that kind of tells you I have some sort of tech science math background-ish, right? Yeah. yeah. And so maybe I have the foundation to kind of go through this, which is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to, is that's the, that's the intent, right? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get across. And so I think we, I'm in favor of people being more nuanced, but I also recognize the realities that we don't have enough time. We all mm-hmm. as humans are so nuanced in what we do well, yeah. because that's what, that's what society values mm-hmm. everybody being highly nuanced yeah. right and so unfortunately you're only going to be able to capture that subculture mm-hmm. that can understand what you do because they either really just enjoy it there has to be some motivation that draws them to understand Absolutely. something further right yeah yeah and so you course. can't really motivate the world as a whole to understand <laughs> everything right it's kind of impossible although i would love that yeah. that's an ideal right yeah I can motivate very few people. So that's <laughs> very challenging. Exactly. So like, I think I, I would love that personally. Cause like, I would love to understand everything, yeah. but I don't have the time and, and I wish I did. Right. It's funny though, because half of learning a lot of these things is unlearning the buzzwords and the, the things that overcomplicate something that's potentially very simple, like yeah. data and algorithms, like, those are terms that people think are super <laughs> like, like, like you have to have a science degree to work with them. And it's like, no, it All is just a process. Like, yeah. but we, we trap ourselves in these corners, I think. And we talk to ourselves so much about revolution and, and things like that without really having just a super clear focus on what that means a lot of the time. Yeah. And it, it makes it hard to working with clients also that don't really understand the space Yeah, because they are always asking for stuff that either doesn't make sense or they said that I, I delivered the donkey with a cupcake on, you know, you're just like, that doesn't even make sense. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> like those words don't make sense in my reality. It, a so, lot of, a lot of, so I'm going to, I'm going to be asking you a question later on in the, in the interview. It's kind of like a wrap up question. Okay. Um, but uh, it's more of like communication. Communication is, is, is something that, as an engineer, I'm not so great at, mm-hmm. but I realize real world consequences and real world application. It is insanely important to be yeah. able to communicate things and to be able to bridge the, the, the lexicon difference that you have as a, a professional in what you do and your client, right. Mm-hmm. And their lack of, um, because they're coming to you. Right. And yeah. some, you have to like find the words to explain to them, this is, this is what I can do. Mm-hmm. These are the limitations. Um, y- this is what you can build within. Right. Yeah. 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 And so it's, it's difficult. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, okay, so so when do you want to get into the trivia? <laughs> the trivia? What trivia? I just thought you said that there was going to so, be. A... So my wrap up question. We don't have to wrap <laughs> okay, up. Okay. We don't have to wrap up now. But I'll just I'll just hit you with it. All right. So my question is: um, Is what you do actually hard? Mm, for me, no, or I wouldn't do it. <laughs> well, I mean, that sounds super lame, but like, <laughs> no, I mean, that's so if it was super hard for me, then I probably wouldn't be as attracted to it because I, you know, you enjoy things that you're good at. Um, I think that I think it's deceptively hard looking. Um, it, it's not easy, there's a ton of stuff to learn, like, yeah. there is just click down menu after click down menu and mm -hmm. yep. no one realizes that doing virtual hair you you there's so many elements of it that you have to tweak like the the curliness the scale of the curl the sheen of it you know like there's so many variables that you can learn and it becomes um it's not what you can do it's what do you want to do like you you can literally do anything in that in the virtual universe as long as you've got the power the software and the energy, you know, Except what I mean? water. What, is water like one of the hardest virtualizations more so than hair. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, but, that's, but that's, that's, a really, that's what I hear. <laughs> that's a perfect that's example easy. though. But when you understand how it works, mm -hmm. you're like, Oh, that's actually really clever. I would have yeah. never thought about that. But at the same time, there's a million click downs, but yeah. The clickdowns are sometimes like springiness or bounciness. It's not like yeah. you need to know physics to do it. That's that's another, I think, big misconception. And the more creatives that start to use these tools, the more user experience is becoming a focus. And these tools are becoming easier and easier to use. So I mean, I don't I don't think it's hard. I think there's some of it is hard and mm -hmm. um but it's no harder than anything else, you know what I mean? Um, but I would say it's not hard for me, and that's the, the thing. Like with skateboarding, it wasn't hard for me, but now it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you know, it's, like, it's hard to give myself credit for something that comes naturally that, that I didn't necessarily work harder than somebody else maybe, um, and, and, but just accomplish different results. You, so you, you loved. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Alicia. You spoke about like the drop-down menus. Um, as an artist, I see like a lot of these apps or these digital apps allow for uh, whether it be the, the kind of the digital or even 3D uh, renderings that artists do. Do you yeah. appreciate like an artist that just comes with like an iPhone and you're like blown away? And if you were to attempt to do something like on a regular program, you're like, see, iPhone, <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting because there's yeah. like a video app that I use mm -hmm. on my phone for editing that has probably 10 buttons on it. Mm -hmm. I can do everything I need that I can't do in QuickTime or in iMovie on it. It's so easy. Mm -hmm. But again, I think it's about what you need to accomplish. Like that's it's such a two dimensional, you know, one, you know, you can go this way and this way with video. Mm -hmm. so there's not that much that you need to be aware of, but yes, there's, you, you, you want to have something that's like easy to drive and intuitive, but you also want to have complete control over it. I think that's where mm -hmm. that handoff, you don't want to have any, you don't want to have over automation. You don't want to be too restricted. Uh -huh. um, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It does make sense. Yeah. 
It's interesting because there's this ongoing discussion. I, I used CAD. I've used CAD. I've used uh, 3D modeling programs because um, what I had to, you know, um, basically make parts like they call it like yeah. fast or, or rapid prototyping anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but it's interesting because you know, you and I know that there's functionality that you can code in multiple languages. Every, every, every one of these uh, applications has their own mm -hmm. extension scripts that you can, you can code yourself. Yeah. I don't dabble with those. I've seen, I've seen like, I don't know if you do, um, I mean, like like plugins, essentially, or like writing your own code for writing your own code for a, a functionality that, is, that doesn't exist. Okay, that is where <laughs> I'm saying, the, like, I want to I want to learn to be to code or something because those guys are uh -huh. wizards. They're literally yeah. like warlocks of the virtual world. They can, yeah, if they want to do something, they can make it happen. It is yeah. unreal. And again, it just it, it it's all just broken down into the simple mathematics, but always way overly complicated. You know what? I when when I was uh, going through Solidity, which is the programming language for Ethereum, mm -hmm. with uh, D, uh, one of the hosts. Yeah, he was like, "I don't understand why this function has this function name. That's so dumb. Uh, if I could redo this, I would name it something more, you know." And he would suggest something more simple, something more, you know, common mm -hmm. sense. And it's just it's just interesting. Well, you know, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with Rachel Sibley, but mm -hmm. no, I'm not. She had a really great TED talk about um, the, uh, the the economy of attention or um, currency of attention or the attention economy, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but she was talking about um, how in an immersive environment, um, there's, or sorry, in a 3D environment, things are much less abstract than they are in like a 2D virtual environment like when you have a picture on your phone that looks like an old telephone mm -hmm. you know that's and it's just on this like weird block like nothing on this is intuitive nothing on this works like you think it would this you go over and you pick it up and you lift it up and it does mm -hmm. what you think it's gonna do when we move into the metaverse i think that's going to be a lot more common it'll be easier to operate in there because things will just operate as you expect them to what the area that that I work in is like behind the scenes of the metaverse. We're the the people creating uh, content. We're the the creators of the metaverse. If that makes sense. Yeah. So mm. I think that yeah, I think things will get. It, it, it's like you know, digital gets really hard, and then I think it's going to hit a tipping point where it's just going to become easy. So are you saying that you need haptic control over interactability with objects for to kind of complete the circle in terms of making the you're using the metaverse this word? Oh well, really? I mean, I think that everything will be virtualized eventually. Everything is just all of your 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 sensory devices are just inputs, and then they go to a signal that's read by your brain. So I don't know why all of these things can't just be virtualized over time. So like you don't want to like in your mind does interacting with the metaverse require you to move your body? Oh, that's a great question, huh? I would say no because it's a vehicle for your brain, really, in my opinion. So if your brain's <laughs> up there or wherever, mm -hmm. whatever virtual body, as long as you can control it by thought, then I would think you don't need your body, but currently you do. You need your hands. Right. That's why we have VR and like we have force feedback. Yes. But exactly. It's just interesting how you think that 
I, I would like it. I would like, uh, you know, like those sci-fi movies where you just put on like a headset and bam, you don't have to move your body. You're in wherever chair you just was zonked off. Oh, in. yeah. Well, think about I mean, humans have such a problem saying like, oh, that'll never happen. Uh-huh. Like, it's, think back 10 years to how far we've come so quickly. That stuff, it's just not that far-fetched anymore, I don't think. I, I think there's a... So... When I when I touched uh, autonomous vehicles, mm-hmm. I realized that this is not going to happen. And so, if you if you look at the result, is they started setting these levels for autonomous. Mm-hmm. And so, like level five is now fully autonomous. Oh yeah, and they're yeah, like we're at level yeah. four now, and I'm like, all right. So that's how you're going to market your way around the. This is not really going to happen for a long time, you know. Yeah, but again, you know, innovation will constantly happen. Yeah. And- it's getting more and more challenging to do in the real world, mm-hmm. you know, the material sciences and things like that. Like so much has been done before and so, so, so little has been done in the virtual world. Mm-hmm. We're still in like the caveman days at this point. We are. We actually did I, did are. I we are. offend the producer? Oh no, no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't think your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. I mean, it just, yeah, if you look at the the trajectory and the the pattern of innovation over time, mm-hmm. it's like, like you were saying, we, we were just always delegating work. We're delegating things over time. And now we're starting to hand off things instead of to like a pneumatic or an electrical engine or something machine, we're starting to allocate it to to be virtual. And that's like, we're virtualizing these things, meaning we're handing off just things that we normally have to do. It's gonna be like the matrix. We're just going to get like a tube fed. That's what I'm saying. Amazon will just come change our diaper. Like it's all that will be necessary. Uh, that's a, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be by choice. Trust me. I don't. Oh, think, okay. All right. Oh, I mean, oh, okay. If, if you think about it, like, there's there's no physical limitations. There's no um, speed limitations. There, there's no limitations of proximity in there. So where are people going to want to spend most of their time? Like where you can fly or where you can't fly. So, and that's where I think bringing it full circle. I think that that is the future is buying capabilities as NFTs. Capabilities. Yes, for avatars. Avatar capabilities is where I think this is headed so So my ability to fly is an nft and i'm i gotta buy that exactly you buy that functionality which is just a chunk of code that you install into your software uh or onto your computer and then the software reads it and makes sense of it like i know kung fu or what you know i know kung fu (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh that that's what it should be called the functionality is i know kung fu yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'll put the kung fu kit all right well so let me ask you do you want to wrap it up chad that would be great i have a meeting another meeting in a little bit let's do this all right so the last question which is our signature question of podcast is how would you describe and this can be you could use bitcoin DeFi, nfts in 10 words or less i think no i won't waste a word on i think <laughs> the democratization of um our world 
I would say, or, or our experiences. Okay. Um, but it, it's or the democratization of information maybe is a better way of saying it. Like I feel like everything is is becoming peer to peer more, and I think that and all these things can be shared now um, immediately, and there's no again there's no uh, distance limitations. Does that make sense? I mean, it makes sense to me. I'm yeah. not sure. I think I think you. I think you, if if I gave you more time, I'm sure you could condense it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. But but I'm picking yeah. up what you're putting down. <laughs> Digital ownership is the other thing. It is. I mean, that's really truly what it is. That's the that's the game changing part of it is the the ability to finally um, prove ownership of a digital asset, which you know we've had that need in in IRL for a long time. Yeah. There's, there's no reason we shouldn't need it in a virtual environment as well. That was like 40 words, I think. Uh, <laughs> okay, break, it up, break it down. I, I, there's a couple of different phrases. If you go digital ownership, a proof of ownership, uh, that's, uh, that's five words, six words. A democratization of information is three. I think that's all I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got it. Awesome. Perfect. Perfect. All right. And we're out. Yeah. How do we close? I don't know. How do we typically close, Alicia? I forget. D does the closing. He does does the closing. I think he goes, and we're back. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we're just going to wrap it like that. That um, was a small snippet. A small snippet of Mr. Knight. it seems like it got pretty deep. I don't know. There's a lot of pushback when it comes to like, are is people going full digital, half digital, you know, um, the digital, digital, digital life. get down. Ooh, just, just you, you and, me. and me. You could be 20,000 miles, miles away. away. I can see ya. And you can see me. Uh, <laughs> JT knew about song. this a long time ago. It's a good song, man. This is one of the songs, uh, not. That wasn't a single either. That was <laughs> that was deep in the album. That that song. Um, we used to play that for our friends who would have long distance relationships. But mm-hmm. this is before like internet dating was really a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were pretty in sync on that, Corey. We were. Mm-hmm. 100%. Anyways, um, so what we were talking about before is like one. It's really hard to predict emergent <laughs> factors. We were talking about surveillance versus surveillance, like like sous vide, like like sous chef. I'm kind of interested to just type it in and see what happens, but I'm not. Yeah, gonna... we should Google that on the incognito <laughs> tab. <I> think... uh, <laughs> so. Um, surveillance. I mean, is it can it get worse than it is, Corey? Like. They can already store every phone conversation that's had in the U.S. They can already oh. watch all these videos and store well, probably. What, dude, what you're told is going on and what's going on are two very different things. Uh, and it's hard to suss between the two things. But what we can know is exactly what's being done on a public ledger and all of history for it. So Interesting. Um, and this is something that I brought up in the interview, um, that I 
conducted for Eth Denver about privacy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost not even surveillance, right? It's, it's, it's a public ledger. And every time that you make a decision that um, potentially exposes more information about yourself and then links um, that information to previous things that you have, you're potentially compromising the privacy and security you thought you had at the time when you did it. Let me give you an example of this, right? Um, I wanted to, I'm just making it, making this up. I wanted to give someone some tokens without anybody knowing. So I put them through a mixer. Um, and then they ended up in the right place. And I was confident that I, that like, there wasn't a connection between the person who received him and, and, and me sending him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I continued using that coin. And then later on down the line, I attached that same address to some other transaction that I did. And um, that that raised some type of flag for that previous relationship that I tried to obfuscate. I sent that person uh, money directly instead. And... Mm-hmm. That's the type of situation where like people who are doing chain forensics can look at that and gather that type of information and start to start to build more and more of a confidence around my connection with specific other people. Or if I'm using multiple addresses and they get linked together, the entity of addresses that could be me. If I make one um, information leaking transaction that then pins my real address to that digital identity, that digital entity that's like forensically made on the blockchain, this is what chain analysis and elliptic do, then they have a very high confidence of being able to pin that to me. And so like something I I thought I did previously that was actually done correctly in terms of privacy and security, in terms of obfuscating information on a blockchain can get exposed later on down the line if I I or someone else who has control of these keys is, is not careful. And so like what I'm trying to get at is like, I'm not trying to tell people that they should be doing nefarious things and they need to keep track of things. I'm saying that like the context in which you present yourself with cryptocurrency can change based on actions you take later on down the line. And you can't take that for granted. And this is part of the reason why uh, Bitcoin chooses to use like HD wallets where every address is a new address. Because it minimizes the chances that they're having on accident. Whereas uh, blockchains like Ethereum that are account-based, you're always using the same account, right? Like I have an account. CorePetty.f is my account. That's my public account that I don't care if people see, right? And if I connect things to that, then people can see that over time. Because you can build that yeah, graph. Man. And all that stuff lives forever. It's on the blockchain. And the better and better and better the technology gets for analyzing the blockchain, the more information they can gather over time. Does hierarchical determinism happen on Ethereum? No. I mean, why not? You can do it, but you're not doing it for every transaction. So like but when you when you have a seed phrase in a given wallet, right? You make a new wallet, they say, hey, back up these 12 words, 24 words, and that's your seed phrase. Keep that safe because that's all your keys. What that's doing is that it's generating a new address every time you would like to generate a new address. Say I would like to have three accounts in my wallet for status. What I'm doing is like, it gives me the first one, which is like the generic standard uh, account you'd get in all all Ethereum wallets. 
And then I say, I want to make a new account. It's not making a bunch of new stuff. It's generating it from the same entropy of that same seed phrase. It's, it's rotating an index and making another seed. So if I move my seed phrase to a different wallet, I get the same accounts. Um, but that just made, that, that's like, I would call those in Ethereum, like my general spending account, and then maybe like more of a savings account or things I don't like touching, or like this one's for a specific thing. It's like, it's however I want to name them. It's up to me. But that's the key point is that I use them over and over again for a specific purpose on Ethereum. Whereas in Bitcoin, they're more than likely just single use. And that's also what Wayne's saying. It's like, it has to do with like UTXOs and account management of, of blockchains like Bitcoin that are UTXO based. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of weird things that you can do for like exposing people's wallet information. Um, so you, you, like he's saying, like you can do these interesting things, like drop a bunch of dust and then watch them aggregate it into the, the transaction they make to aggregate a bunch of small pieces of, 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 of say for instance, Bitcoin from a bunch of different UTXOs automatically makes a link to a bunch of addresses they control to one that they move. So it, it links a bunch of addresses together on the blockchain. And you can see that on the blockchain as a type of transaction that doesn't happen often. It's these transactions that... Uh, wallets make in order to like do some account management um, and try and like clean up all the UTXOs they're keeping track of. Because like mm -hmm. when you see a number in your wallet on for a Bitcoin wallet uh, or any any UTXO any UTXO based wallet, uh, you see just a number. What that actually is is a bunch of different UTXOs that is keeping track across the entire blockchain with small increments on it, and it's just adding all those up and saying you have this much Bitcoin. But when you say I want to send a fraction of that Bitcoin to somebody else, it then says, well, what's the best way for me to aggregate all my options of UTXOs so that I can like clean up some of those things or uh, send the minimal amount or whatever. So wallets do different ways in which they can kind of craft transactions so that they send the right amount of Bitcoin while also like making sure that I'm having to watch 40 to 40,000 different places on the blockchain to keep track of your accounts. Hmm. I don't, I don't like any of this. that. I just, I just kept going. I don't like <laughs> any of that. I don't like. Well, I don't like any of that. Welcome to the like, blockchain. Are, it's a, it's a public ledger. Of, treat yourself are, that way. So it's hard to see like, cash. It's hard to like know the ramifications of things like what Visa says and what Tesla's doing. Like, why do you think Fed? Are, like, why do you think the Fed and fiat is so enamored by this technology? That's the ultimate loss, right? You're they're yeah. they're making it in such a way that they can just do whatever they want. Hmm. All right. Well, that's a hell of an episode. Let's wrap it on up. Uh, <laughs> hey. Sorry. Um, Sorry for that's what happens when I'm tired. I get real negative. A, do you need a do you need a job audience? <laughs> Are you working in a job that sucks bows? Does your job suck and ergo your life? Do you want to change that because your life is sucking? Join the TBP Slack. Get a better job. I <laughs> cannot get over how much I love that chick just like touching web jobs. <laughs> That's the best commercial I've seen. And I'm not just saying that because I was a part of making it. I'll, I, I like that commercial. I would it would get my attention. It's better than I would like, laugh out like, loud. 
without without saying LOL, I would laugh physically out loud if I saw that commercial somewhere. <laughs> Your jabs suck. All right, so um, let's do a couple shout outs. Let's wrap it on up. Shout out to uh, Megan the Stallion. She's over there above Corey's shoulder now because he specifically wanted to be there. Because uh, he said, "I'd like to be underneath Megan one time." I said, "Corey, we can make that <laughs> we can make that reality true for you." Uh, shout out to uh, Michael B. Jordan, who uh, he's, he's got a new movie coming out on the old Amazon. Looks like it's gonna be one for the books. You know, he's uh, he's doing his thing, old Michael B. Out there, you know, look at that guy. Look at him. Look at that jacket. Look at the lapels on that jacket. That's a powerful man right there. Uh, shout out to his boo, Lori Harvey, because, you know, enough said. Look, look what's happening there. Look at how she's pulling off that shoulderless, half-shoulder shirt right there. One shoulder's warm, the other's cold, and she's saying, you know it, you know it. So I got this functional shirt to take care of that situation specifically. Uh, and shout out to old Long Smiles, Zoe Saldana, you know. <laughs> We could just get a better ratio picture, I think. <laughs> get a better aspect ratio, but I'd rather keep calling her old. I kind of want to just keep it that way now. Oh, long smile, Zoe. You know, doing it, doing it for everybody. Um, shout out to you guys, the audience, of course. Uh, shout out to. Uh, am I missing anybody? Daniel, Alicia. We give everybody. Shout out. You'll get one eventually. Uh, that's it. Play the outro.